BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. When you were a kid, teachers and parents probably told you to concentrate. And as an adult, you likely often think about how much more productive, present, and happy you'd be if only you had better focus. But despite how much we think about our desire to improve our focus, no one ever gets any training in how to do it, and even explains what focus is exactly. My guest today is an exception to that rule. He was taught the secrets of concentration when he spent 10 years as a Hindu monk, and today he's on a mission to share them with others. His name is Dan Dapani, and he continues to live as a Hindu priest, though he's now also an entrepreneur and author, with a book just published called The Power of Unwavering Focus. Today on the show, Dan Dapani defines focus and shares the existential reasons why developing yours is so vital. He explains how that development begins with understanding how the mind is different from awareness, that where awareness goes, energy flows, and the need to bring awareness to attention. We walk through how to stop practicing distraction and how to start practicing concentration by making each of your daily activities a focused practice and ultimately making your whole day a practice. We also discuss how daily sessions of meditation are inadequate for developing focus, how mindfulness is different than concentration, and how the ability to control and direct your awareness is one of the greatest powers you can possess. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is focus. Dan Dapani, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So you are a Hindu priest and a former Hindu monk and the author of a new book called The Power of Unwavering Focus, where you, for a lay audience, talk about practices from your faith tradition, about how to have more focus in your life. Before we talk about your book, let's talk a little bit about your background, because you're interested. You're the first Hindu priest I ever talked to. What's monastic life in Hinduism? How does that work? Can anyone become a monk? Is it like Catholicism where... You can. You don't have to be a priest to be a monk, or you can be a priest and a monk. How does that work? Yeah, no, it's similar to Catholicism. Hindu monks live celibate lives. They take vows of renunciation and often other vows as well. And typically monks live in a monastery with other monks, and some monks live independently by themselves, and often even sometimes in, in a forest, in a mountain by themselves. So in Hinduism, there are two paths. There's the path of the monastic and the path of the householder. The monastic is the, is the monk and the householder is the family person. So Hindu priests actually fall under the category of a householder. So a Hindu priest can get married, can work at McDonald's, be an entrepreneur, have a kids, you know, live a regular household life. Whereas in the Catholic religion, Catholic priests are very similar to Catholic monks where they lead celibate lives and live in cloisters with each other or all by themselves. 
So that's the big distinction between Hindu monks and Hindu priests. So I was a monk for 10 years. I lived in a cloistered monastery, taken vows in a monastic order. And then when my vows expired, I left and I chose to live as a Hindu priest. So now I'm married, I have a daughter, I'm an entrepreneur, and I live in the world, just like a lot of people do. Well, what's uh, day-to-day life like for Hindu monks? I mean, what's their role in Hinduism and their purpose? I would say there's so many different traditions of monastic traditions within Hinduism. I can speak for the order that I belong to. The primary goal of a monastic in that order was self-realization or enlightenment, seeking through deep meditation to experience divinity within ourselves. So that was the primary goal of the monks in our order. But while pursuing that, monks also pursued a life of selfless service where they took Hindu, ancient Hindu teachings and tools and shared it with the world. So in our monastery, we published books. We we had a massive digital platform where the monks had podcasts, similar to podcasts, blogs, digital content. Idea was to empower people with these timeless teachings and tools to help people live better lives, more rewarding lives, and ultimately guide and steer people to its enlightenment. And that really was the role within our monastic community. So you mentioned you didn't renew your vows. You are now a householder. You are right. a priest, and you you're an entrepreneur. So, like, what what do you do with your work? Who do who do you work with these days? So I work as an advisor to entrepreneurs and high-performance athletes. I would say primarily my clients are entrepreneurs, successful ones that have you know built very successful companies. So I, I train them personally. I do often do one-on-one coaching with a few of them, not too many. And, and then I speak to companies, to senior leadership teams, sometimes to the whole company or departments within the company, companies like American Express, Bloomberg, Nike, and things like that. So that's what I do. And, and primarily what I do is I help them understand the mind, how the mind works, help teach them how to concentrate, help them to practice concentration so they can be good at it. But ultimately it's leveraging the mind so they can be the best at what they do. And the same for athletes as well, high performance athletes. Most of us, like I always say, never get taught how the mind works, never get taught how to concentrate. So if we can learn how the mind works and we can learn to focus the mind, then we can live much more rewarding lives, but at the same time also be much better at, at what we do on a daily basis. Well, yeah, let's, let's, that's a nice uh, segue into your book. So you start off the book in The Power of Unwavering Focus talking about how parents, teachers, coaches, bosses, They'll tell people, like, stay focused. <laughs> yeah. But we never really, I mean, I don't think I ever got an explanation on what it meant to be focused. I kind of picked up, like, what I thought people meant. Yeah. But we just kind of expect people know how to concentrate and how to focus. What do you think have been the consequences of not teaching people, like, actually sitting down saying, here's, how, here's what I mean, and here's how to do it when I say focus? I would say, you know, that one of the consequences of not teaching people how to concentrate is that we leave that up to our environment. It's the same way with not teaching people to eat healthy, then where do people get their eating habits? Through the environment. And what is the environment? It's, you know, companies selling people junk food, you know, crappy food to to eat. And so if people don't have any ability to discriminate between what food is good for their body and what's not, 
then they'll just buy into the best marketing out there for crappy food. And similarly with the mind as well, if we never taught how to concentrate and the world is always vying for your attention and trying to show you different things to to engage with you, then you're going to be trained in the art of distraction by the world around you. And unfortunately, that's what's happened because, you know, if I asked you, were you trained in how to concentrate? Did you have formal classes on concentration growing up in school, like every day, like math, science? You probably would say no. And I've asked this everywhere I've traveled around the world in all my workshops and events. Has anybody here had formal classes on how to concentrate every single day in school, the same way you've had formal classes in math, science, geography, history, and no one's ever put their hand up? And we can't concentrate. And we just tell people to concentrate and assume that they would know how to do it. And that's just a bad assumption. Yeah. And, and people will get frustrated because they think, well, something's wrong with me, right? Because I, I can't concentrate. So I, maybe I have ADHD. Well, maybe, or maybe you just don't know how to concentrate. Exactly. And that's one of the arguments I put in the book, right? There's a whole lesson on, on ADD and ADHD. That lesson's called, please don't drug me. And the whole concept there is that, you know, I, I share a story where a man, and I've had many parents come up to me at events, a man came up to me at an event and said, you know, my, my son has been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD and he's on drugs now and I'm really unhappy about it. And I said to the man, I, I, I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a doctor. I don't truly understand ADD or ADHD, but can you tell me what's the essence of the problem? And he says, oh, my son has a really hard time focusing. He's always distracted at school, at home. And so the, di the doctor diagnosed him with ADD and put him on medication. Then I asked the dad, I said, have you ever, if he has trouble concentrating, have you ever taught him how to concentrate? And the dad goes, no. And I go, if you haven't taught him how to concentrate, how do you expect him to concentrate? It's the same way if you told your son to play the piano and he couldn't play the piano and then you diagnosed him with PPD, piano playing disorder, and then drugged him for it, that would be unfair. So I'm not saying that diagnosing someone for having trouble keeping the attention on one thing is bad. There's nothing wrong with the diagnosis of that. What is the treatment for it? The treatment, the first treatment shouldn't be drugs. The first treatment should be, well, let's teach them how to do it. And then let's help them practice what they've learned so they can actually be good at it. Because if you don't practice something, you don't be good at it. And after a few years of that, they still struggle. Maybe medication can assist, but that shouldn't be the first go to. Well, so let's talk about definitions mm -hmm. because we hear the word focus. And I think we all have a general idea when someone tells us to focus, we think we have an idea and you sort of like just to put all your attention on one thing for a long period of time. But how, and we'll get more into the definitions. Like what I love about your book is you're very systematic in explaining like you. you need to understand what this is before we get to this. But big picture, when you talk about focus, what are you talking about? Focus is my ability to keep my awareness on the person or thing I'm engaged with until I choose to consciously move it to something else. So if I'm speaking with you, I keep my awareness on you and completely engage with you. Once I'm done with my conversation with you, I shift my awareness to the next thing I want to do. And that's my ability to focus. So I think often, you know, people might think focus is just my ability to keep my awareness on one thing or one person for an extended period of time. I would say that's a partial definition of focus. The other half of the definition of focus is my ability then to say, okay, I'm done with this task. 
I'm going to switch it now to this task, which at the end of the day tells you that you have a conscious choice of who and what you're engaging with on a moment to moment basis. Okay. Let's talk about like, why do you think you also make at the beginning, you make the case for focus, you know, okay. People get told you need to focus, but like, okay, why, why, what's in it for me? Like, what is your case for developing this focus? In the book, I put three, three impetus for leading a focused life. The greatest one, which is the third one I talk about is that life is finite, that we will all die. So regardless of our religious affiliations or beliefs or philosophy that we subscribe to, the fact that no one can argue with is that at some point in this life, we all die. We just don't know when. So if our life is finite, and I very clearly say in the book that life is not short, it's finite, meaning there's a clear definitive end to it, then the question is, if I want to live a great life, a rewarding life, a content life, a happy life, I need to define my purpose, my priorities, and then be able to focus on those things. If I focus on who and what I love and I'm aligned with, the byproduct of that is happiness, the byproduct of that is contentment, and the ultimate byproduct of that is I live a rewarding life, a fulfilled life. And to me, that's one of the greatest impetus for leading a focused life is that you get one life. You don't get a second shot at this. You don't want to get to the end of your life, look back and go like, oh, I should have done that. I should have done this. I should have spent more time with this person. And if you can't focus, you know, the other impetus too is that a lot of people work hard for their money. They save their money so they can go out for a really nice meal with a friend, with a friend or with friends or family or go on a nice holiday. And then when they get to that meal and when they get to that holiday, they can't concentrate long enough to actually enjoy it. How many times have you gone to a meal and looked at across at the table across from you and seen someone on their phone texting, distracted with their phone rather than enjoying the meal, enjoying the company of the person that they're with? So, I mean, if you can't focus, then, you know, you work so hard to save money so you can go and have this beautiful meal in this beautiful restaurant, but you can't stay focused long enough to enjoy it. I had an entrepreneur tell me, you know, he'd been building this business for years. When he sold this business, one of the first things he did was take his family on this luxurious holiday. They were on a private boat sailing to another island on a speedboat, sorry, speedboat sailing to another, going to another island. And at one point he realized that his whole family was enjoying, you know, going from an island to island on the speedboat. And he'd been, his face was buried in the phone for the last 15 minutes. So you work so hard so that you can earn money to give you and your family the experience of this beautiful holiday in the Caribbean or wherever it was. But then when you actually get there, you can't focus long enough to be present in that experience to actually enjoy it. Because now you're distracted with something else. Yeah. I mean, he might say, well, I was focused on my email, but like he wasn't co- probably wasn't consciously deciding to focus on it. It was a distraction. Exactly. And if you want to focus on your email, why don't you stay home and do it? You know, why, why go all the way out there? The whole purpose of being on a boat traveling between islands is so that you can spend time with your family. And how many times, you know, do you sit with someone, you're having a conversation with them and you see they're completely distracted. They're not even listening to what you're saying. They're physically there sitting in front of you. Their head has been subconsciously trained to nod at what you're saying. But mentally, their awareness is somewhere else, checked out. And you know they're completely distracted. And it's like, what's the point? Why are you here? You know, I call people out on that. You know, I go, like, where are you? 
go like, oh, I'm here. And you go like, where's your awareness? I know you're physically sitting here, but your awareness has wandered off somewhere else. And I can see that. Bring it back. Because if you don't want to be here, I'm happily good to leave and go somewhere else and do something else. But once, you know, going back to the question, what you said, you know, it's like, what's the greatest impetus? The greatest impetus is that our time is finite and, it, and it's so precious and distraction is the biggest thief of that time. It robs us of that time that we have, that precious time. And for me, it's not worth it. And you also talk about that if you want to develop focus, you have to have, to have a desire for it. And I imagine that desire you know, can come from knowing that life's finite. It can also come from wanting the happiness and meaning that, as you said, is a byproduct from focusing on what's most important. And you know, I, I, I can see people saying, oh, yeah, I want that. And I, I, I want to be happy. I want to be focused. But sometimes they don't, they don't really want it. I mean, they kind of want it maybe. And you say that's not enough. They don't desire. Yeah, they don't desire it enough. You know, I think people go through it. What I've, I've realized since leaving the monastery and being engaged in the world and been doing this for over a decade now is that I think when people are going through a challenging time in their life, whether it's a personal crisis or divorce or whatever it may be, loss of job or death, loss of a loved one, that's when they desire it. And then when the pain starts to ebb away, then they just default back to who they were and they don't want it badly enough. So how do you cultivate? How do you keep that the, that desire going when the the bad time goes away? I would say remind yourself, write it down, remind yourself every single day. You know, someone asked me a long time ago, uh, Don Dapani, how often do you think about dying? And I said to him, I hardly ever think about dying, but what I do think about every single day is that my life is finite. I don't say my life is short, that my life is finite, meaning at some point I will die, that I have, I'm only here for a limited amount of time. And that drives me to make sure that every day I'm leading a full life, that I'm focusing on the people that I love, I'm focusing on the things I love. Because that also reminds me every day that the people I love, their, life are fi- their lives are finite too. And I don't know when they're going to die. I look at the, you know, people look at young kids, they might look at their daughter or their son who's five, six years old and go like, oh, you know, they have their whole lives ahead of them. Uh, Not necessarily true. They could die tomorrow. We want them to have their whole lives ahead of them. We want them to live till their 90s or 100 and die then. But that doesn't mean they're going to. So while I have these people and things in my life, I want to enjoy them. And the ability to focus allows me to enjoy them. The realization that life is finite is the greatest impetus for leading a focused life and to make sure that we don't waste this precious gift that we have, which is life itself. Okay, let's talk about how to develop this focus. And um, it's important, you make this point in the book, in order to understand how to develop focus, it's important to understand some of the metaphysics that underlie Hinduism. Let's talk about what the mind is. So you, you say you teach people how the mind works. Mm. When you talk about the mind, what is the mind? So I describe in the book, the mind as a vast space with many different areas within it. So you can say one area of the mind is happiness, one area of the mind is jealousy, anger, food, sex. There's so many different areas of the mind. And I talk about awareness. One description of it is it's a glowing ball of light. And I describe that ball of light 
being able to travel to any area of the mind that it wants to go to. And you are, in essence, pure awareness, pure energy traveling through different areas of the mind. So if you go to the angry area of the mind, you experience being angry. From there, you can shift your awareness to the happy area of the mind. You can experience being happy. You can shift your area to the technology area of the mind and be immersed in technology. What we can surmise from this is that there's two things. One is there's a clear separation between awareness and the mind. They're two distinctly separate things. And number two is that at any given point in time, you or your environment, the people and things around you, can dictate where your awareness is going. So I can choose to go to a happy area from my mind. And if I don't choose to do that, I can allow my environment to take me to the happy area of the mind, but I can also allow my environment to take me to the sad area of the mind. The goal ultimately is to be able to have conscious mastery of where awareness goes in the mind. And if you look at most people around you, because we haven't been trained in this, we haven't been taught this, most people allow their environment, and again, I define environment as the people and things around them, to dictate where their awareness goes. They see something in the news. The story in the news takes awareness to a depressed area of the mind. They see a picture of a politician they don't like. Awareness goes to an angry area of the mind. They see their best friend. Awareness goes to the happy area of the mind. Then they see something else. Awareness goes to this area of the mind. And within the space of two, three minutes, awareness could be bouncing around the mind. And within a space of a day, your environment could take your awareness to a million areas of the mind, and then you're no longer focusing on the people and things that truly really matter to you. So um, the, there's a distinction between mind and awareness. You're saying we're not our mind. Instead, we are awareness. We get to control that. And I think that's interesting because I think oftentimes when you you're, you read books about mindfulness, we can maybe talk more about this because you kind of mm-hmm. have a, a pet peeve about mindfulness. But people talk <laughs> about like, well, my, my mind is wandering. My mind is yeah. just, it's all over the place. And you'd say, well, no, it's not your mind. It's just your awareness is all over the place. And Brad, another thing people also often say is that I have a monkey mind. I don't know if you've ever heard that statement Yeah, before. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, so the mind doesn't actually move. It's your awareness that's moving within the mind. I mean, all you have to do is just look at your day from the moment you woke up. Your awareness is moving through different areas of the mind. Do you remember the very first podcast you did for this show? I do. Who was it with? It was a guy named Marcus Brotherton. Okay, and you did it from your home? I did it from my apartment and when I lived in an apartment a long time ago. Okay. So now your awareness has moved to that area of the subconscious where the memory of the first podcast resided. And I could sit here the next five minutes and take your awareness to different areas of the mind by asking you different questions. At this point, I'm in charge of where your awareness is going and what you're feeling. I can take you to a sad area of the mind. I can take you to a happy area of the mind. I can take you to an angry area of the mind. And this is what's happened. Your mind doesn't move. It's awareness that moves within the mind. And the goal is to control where awareness goes. And it's as simple as that, really. It doesn't get more complicated. We make it very complicated, but it doesn't get more complicated than that. Well, yeah, you do this great exercise to show, to highlight the distinction between mind and awareness. You know, someone could be listening to this podcast right now and their awareness is on our voices. But we can just say, well, wiggle your toes and think about how your toes feel. And their awareness is going to go to that immediately. My awareness just went to my toes. <laughs> <You said> that. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. And that's what happens. And that's, here's another point where we talked about being distracted earlier. If I'm having a conversation with Joe and Joe's sitting in front of me, I'm talking to him and Joe's nodding his head going, hmm, 
Yeah, I see. Okay. Mm. He's physically present. But my question is, where is your awareness? Because if your awareness has drifted out somewhere, you're not there. Have you ever had the experience where you're talking to someone and someone says to you, hey, where are you? Yeah. Because I've zoned out. In the context, yeah. Yeah. In the context of this book, the correct question determined with the right terminology would be, where's your awareness? Because if someone asks you, where are you? The correct answer is, well, I'm standing in front of you. But when you ask someone, where's your awareness? Then they go, my awareness is off somewhere else in my mind, thinking about something else while you're speaking to me. That's the big distinction, right? That's, that's why understanding awareness in the mind is so critical. People talk about time management, you know, balancing life and working so many hours. And someone might say, okay, I'm going to spend an hour and a half with my family every day or two hours with my family every day. And 45 minutes of those two hours is having a meal, a dinner with my family. So every night they come home and they have dinner with the family. So they can check off the time management box and say, okay, today I did 45 minutes having dinner with my family every day and be very proud of it. For me, my question is, Yes, you were physically present those 45 minutes having dinner with your family. But I want to know in those 45 minutes, where was your awareness? Because if you, when your husband was talking or when your wife was talking and your kids were talking, was your awareness somewhere else in your mind? Or were, you, were your awareness engaged with them? And that's the critical question. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, I think that, that distinction is it's very useful because I've been thinking about that a lot. It's like, well... I'm going to control my awareness. I'm going to shift my awareness to different parts of my mind. So one thing you talk about in the book is something you learned from your, from your guru mm-hmm. is this, this phrase, where awareness goes, energy flows. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? And what are you talking about when you're talking about energy? So, you know, Tesla, Nikola Tesla, the scientist, had a beautiful saying, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. I elaborate a little bit more on that to add to that by saying that everything in this world is made up of energy and that energy is vibrating at a certain frequency. You want something to manifest in your life. You want to create something in your life, invest energy into it. There's another phrase, and I'll tie this back to what my guru's quote. There's another phrase I have in the book where I say life is a manifestation of where you invest your energy. And the best way to understand the statement is to look at energy the same way we look at water. So if I took a watering can and I watered a garden bed, both the weeds and the flowers would grow. Water has no ability to discriminate between the weeds and the flowers. Similarly, energy has no ability to discriminate between what's positive and what's negative. Whatever I invest energy into will start to grow in my life. So if you look at your mind as having different areas, and let's look at the mind, take an analogy as the mind as a huge garden, made up of a thousand garden beds. One garden bed is anger, another garden bed is jealousy, another garden bed is growing tomatoes and lettuce, and there's so many different garden beds, right? Now, if I took a watering can and I watered a garden bed, that garden bed would start to grow. Similarly, I have these different areas in my mind of anger, jealousy, happiness, and, you know, contentment. And as awareness goes to those areas, that's where energy is flowing to that area of the mind. And as energy flows to that area of the mind, I strengthen, you could say, the muscles in that area of the mind. So where awareness goes, energy flows. If my awareness is constantly going to the angry area of the mind, that's where my energy is flowing. That area of the mind starts to strengthen. I deposit more energy in the angry area of the mind. 
eventually it starts to strengthen and strengthen. Now it starts to vibrate at the frequency of hanger, whatever that frequency is, just say 50 kilohertz, I'm making up some number. So remember what Tesla said, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Now the stronger, the more energy I deposit in the anger area of the mind, the stronger it becomes, energy is magnetic, and now I start attracting into my life anything of a similar frequency. And because that area is so highly magnetized, it also then has the ability to pull awareness there really quickly as well. And have you ever met someone who's so quick to get angry, no matter what you say, they're just that's the default place they go to in their mind? Because in an area, they've been cultivating. And similarly, someone can cultivate a happy area of the mind, a jealous area of the mind, a fear area of the mind. So where awareness goes, that's where energy flows, and that area gets strengthened. And the more it gets strengthened, the more magnetic force it has over awareness and the ability to pull awareness there as a default place to go to. Well, yeah, and you see this idea in neuroscience, this idea of you know, neurons that fire together, wire together, right? So if you just keep mm-hmm. on thinking the same sort of pattern, you're just going to, that pattern is going to get stronger and stronger, and you're more likely to follow that whenever you're put in a similar situation. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times we do this without even being conscious of it, right? We say things, we think things repeatedly over and over again. Someone might look in the mirror every morning going like, oh, I'm too fat. I don't like my nose. My nose is this, you know? I'm unhappy, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. Now, if you say I'm depressed 20 times a day, every day, seven days a week, what are you going to be after six months? Depressed, because you're creating that pattern in your mind. Awareness is going there, investing energy in that. So repetition, that area becomes strengthened. You know, I give, I think I give an example in the book where, you know, I met this guy many years ago when I just left the monastery and I did a workshop in New York. And after the workshop, I had talked, spoken about all of this, and he didn't quite believe it. And I asked him, you know, I said, what do you do? He says, I work in the stock exchange. And I said, would you do an experiment for me? He said, sure. I said, every day I want you to go to the stock exchange when you're working there, Monday to Friday, and I want you to say 15 times a day, all my stocks, all my shares, all my bonds or whatever is failing, and I'm losing tens of thousands of dollars. And this is how I want you to say it and how I want you to impress your mind with these words, would you do it? And he looked at me and he said, no. And I said, why not? You don't believe in any of these things. But he said, no, I'm not going to do it. No entrepreneur, no athlete will go out there and say, I'm terrible at what I do. I'm failing. I'm going to fail. My business is failing. They won't, right? But we do this in our personal life all day long. You know, we, we don't understand awareness in the mind and we repeat things. We send awareness to negative areas of the mind all day long strengthening those areas of the mind, which then negatively impact our life. So learning to control awareness in the mind is is highly critical. It's one of the first, first steps. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits started at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a long-time podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. 
a lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. And now back to the show. Well, let's uh, talk about how we can start controlling our awareness. And you say the first step to that, okay, well, first you have to understand what awareness is, what the mind is, but the idea is you need to understand, you need to bring awareness to attention. Correct. What do you mean by that? So awareness has to be aware of itself. You don't know, have you ever been in a conversation with someone talking to them? Now they start talking to you, your awareness drifts away. And it may take you like 15, 20 seconds later before you realize you've drifted away. Their mouth is still moving and you go like, oh my God, they're talking and I haven't heard a single word they've said, right? Yes, that's happened to me. You can only get, <laughs> you can only get to that place when awareness can be aware of itself and go, oh my God, I've drifted away. And once it's aware it's drifted away, it can bring itself back. So the first step is bringing awareness to attention. It's like, oh, I've drifted away. And that exercise, that practice comes through one's ability to learn to concentrate. It, it, they kind of work hand in hand. So the, the more I learn to keep awareness on one thing at a time or one person at a time, the more observant I become because observation is a byproduct of prolonged states of concentration. The more observant I become, the more conscious I become of my awareness drifting away from what or who I'm engaged with. And unless I'm observant of it, then I, I won't know. Right. And you do this, another great, I love that you have these really practical exercises you can do to, to, to highlight this, this idea of bringing awareness to attention or awareness being aware yeah. of itself. It's like if you're in a movie, you're at a movie theater, you're watching the movie, you're, you're sucked into the story, your awareness is inside the story that, that's being portrayed in the yeah. movie. But then you say, well, you can shift your awareness to where you're no longer inside the story, you're just observing yeah. The people around you. Maybe you just observe, you're looking at the screen, but you're just saying, noticing, you know, this is just light being projected on a screen. Yeah. That's when you separate awareness from what it is engaged with, right? Yeah. And, and the movie is a great place to do this because you go to cinema, you see everyone sitting there, everyone's watching the movie, they're laughing or being sad or upset or whatever emotion the director wants you to experience. But if you can pull your awareness out of the movie and just like wiggle your toes, right? I give that simple example. As you start to wiggle your toes, your eyeballs go down, you look at your toes, you're no longer engaging with the screen anymore. So when you're no longer engaging, your awareness is no longer engaging with the screen, you're not experiencing the movie. Now you're looking at your toes. Now, when you look back up again and you look around you, you can see people laughing and people like, you know, gripping onto their chair or whatever it may be. Now you realize my awareness is separate from that which it is engaged in. And I can choose to let my awareness go back into the movie. And once my ball of light gets absorbed back into the movie, now I experience everything the movie wants me to experience. And if you start playing that game and that exercise of pulling awareness in and out of things, you realize that at the end of the day, I have complete control over my awareness. And I can choose at any moment in the day if I want to engage with something or not engage with it. And you think about the freedom that gives an individual. I lived in New York for, for 11 years, you know, Brett, and I'd walk down the street and something would be happening or in the subway and everybody's awareness gets engaged 
with a couple arguing, for example, in the subway train, in the subway car. And now they're all upset about the whole thing that's going on because they've let their ball of light go to that experience and get engaged with it. And now enmeshed in the same emotional area of the mind that the couple is arguing in the subway car. But if they pull their ball of light out of it, then they go like, okay, I see them arguing, but I'm not going to get engaged. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. Like, yeah, that that experiment, the, the thought experiment, the movie, I mean, really, it's a great way to practice the separating awareness and showing that you do have control over your awareness. So you, like you said, in the subway, you can see someone fighting and you can decide, well, I'm gonna, am I going to allow this to take my awareness to my angry part of my brain? Yeah. Or am I going to stay in a neutral part where I'm just watching what's unfolding? And here's the thing, right? You know, you, you see on social media all the time, people say things like, be present, be the observer. What the hell does that even mean? You know, it's like, it's like telling someone, be focused. Okay, how the hell do I do it? And people always say this, and you know, in the spiritual context, like, be the observer. Okay, like, that's great. Want to show me how, the, how to do it? It's about understanding awareness in the mind. If I can keep my awareness with me, then I'm watching from here, like you said, in a neutral place, the couple fighting. Now I'm observing. I'm not emotionally reacting. As soon as I let my ball of light leave me and go to the couple and get involved with them, now I'm engaged with that. Keeping my ball of light with me, like you say, in a neutral place or in a happy place or a peaceful place, is me being an observer of what's happening in me. Uh, outside of me and, and you know that's why you know in the book I spent like so much time talking about awareness in the mind because this this lays the foundation of so many things going forward not only just learning to concentrate but learning how to be observant how to be present and things like that Okay, so concentration or focus use those words interchangeably mm-hmm. is the ability to consciously choose what you're going to direct your awareness on. Now, and you can choose to direct your awareness on that thing in your mind or in your environment for as long as you want. It's going to be a really long time or maybe just for a little bit of time, but you're, you're choosing to Correct. direct your awareness there. Yes. That's concentration. That's focus. Let's talk about the opposite of that, distraction. What is distraction? Distraction is when something or someone outside of you moves your awareness from one thing to another without your permission. So you surrender where awareness goes in your mind to your environment around you. So I, I let TikTok take me to a happy area of the mind because I see a dancing cat. And then two seconds later, take me to a sad area of the mind because I see something else. And then three minutes later, take me to an angry area of the mind because I see something that I don't want to see. That's distraction. That's allowing your environment to dictate where your awareness goes in your mind. And the more you practice this, so an external force can do that, but it can also happen internally, right? Your own subconscious, if the patterns in your subconscious mind are distracted of nature, then it can move your awareness from one thing to another to another all day long as well. And and you make this really, I like this point you make. The reason why you have a problem with distraction is because you have practice distraction. I mean, what do you mean by, how do we, I mean, people don't think, well, I'm not practicing distraction. I'm just, just looking at my phone. That's, I'm not practicing anything. I, I don't want to do this. So what do you mean by we practice distraction? 
there's a lesson in the book called The Law of Practice. And what I mean by that, I say, whatever we practice, we end up becoming really good at, regardless if it's good or bad for us. So anything we repeat over and over again, even if we're not conscious we're doing it, it becomes a pattern in our mind. So if we, on a daily basis, allow our awareness to jump from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another in quick succession, we're training our awareness to be distracted. And that's what we practice all day long. Most people practice all day long. And technology is feeding that, right? You know, people want like, your videos need to be 15 seconds to 30 seconds long in order to capture audiences. Everyone's making these short reels and TikTok and stuff. And that's how long we're being trained every day to keep our awareness on one thing. Because that reel or story can only be 15 or 60 seconds long. And then before the next thing is fed with you. So if I'm on TikTok every day or Instagram reels every day for two, three hours, watching things for 60 second periods before it switches to something else, that's what I'm being trained to do. That's what my awareness is being trained to stay on one thing for 60 seconds before it's then switched to another area of the mind based on what's being fed to me. Now, I sit down to have coffee with you for an hour. I can only keep my awareness on you for 60 seconds before I need to move it to something else. Yeah, before you pick up your phone to look at what's going on. Pick up my phone, look past you, see what's happening behind you, who's walking, what's the waiter doing, or I see a bird sitting on the tree, or I want to change the subject, because TikTok, social media, Instagram, all these things are changing things every 16 seconds, every 60 seconds or 15 seconds, or whatever it may be, they're feeding you something completely different. So awareness is now moving within the mind to different areas of the mind every 60-second blocks of time. And if you do this two, three, four hours a day, that's what you become really good at. Okay, so we practice distraction. We don't want to do that anymore. So yeah. let's talk about how to practice concentration. And you, you make this case that when people think, well, I got to get more focused. I want to become more focused individual. They think, well, I'll, I'll do some you know, mindfulness meditation for 15 minutes a day. Yeah. You say that's not enough. Yeah. That's not going to be enough to develop your concentration. Why is that? Because, you know, in the example in the book I give is that we need to look at our life the same way an Olympic sprinter looks at his life. Take Usain Bolt, for example, when he was competing. I don't know much about this guy, but, you know, fastest man on earth, you know, he had the 100 meters at 9.56 or 54 seconds or whatever it is. I am assuming his whole day when he was competing was structured, meaning that, you know, he drank water, he exercised, he did weight training, he ran, he sprinted, he stretched, he rested. His whole day was there to support the 9.56 seconds as opposed to 9.56 seconds supporting the whole day. So people often think that if I meditate five minutes in the morning or 10 minutes in the morning, that's going to help me be focused the rest of the day. My question is, what are you doing the 23 hours and 50 minutes of the day? That's the critical piece. The first step is structuring the lifestyle that can help you then support a meditative practice, a concentration practice. So the idea is then to look at your life and go, okay, if I want to be good at meditation, I need to be good at concentration. So I need to practice concentration throughout the day. How do I integrate this practice of concentration in everything I do? And we define concentration as doing one thing at a time, one simplified definition. So if I'm speaking with my spouse, I give my spouse my undivided attention. 
if I'm speaking with my daughter, I give my daughter my undivided attention. I'm speaking with my employees, I give my team my undivided attention, my clients. I practice doing one thing at a time. So if I'm doing this seven, eight, nine hours a day doing one thing at a time, then when I actually sit down to meditate for 15 minutes, I've been trained at doing one thing at a time. So now when I sit down to meditate, my awareness has been trained to just stay in one place. But if I'm distracted all day long, if my awareness is jumping from one thing to another every 60 seconds throughout the whole day, then when I sit down for 15 minutes by myself, what do you think my awareness is doing in my mind? Right, it's going to be all over the place. Exactly. We become good at whatever it is we practice. It's not like I do... My awareness practices something different for eight hours. And then when I sit down with myself, all of a sudden I, I can be like hyper-focused. It doesn't work that way. So what you're saying that if you want to practice concentration, you just have to make it a part of your daily life. Like find, like find opportunities to, to practice the, the, the practice of concentration. Exactly. Yes. And in the book, we, we go through a very systematic process of like identifying what I call the non-negotiable reoccurring events. You know, so for example, if you live with your spouse, with your kids, speaking to them is non-negotiable. They're part of your family. They're part of life. You can't not talk to your, your child. Every day you talk to your child. And if you talk to your child for half an hour a day or an hour a day or two hours a day, then every time you speak with them, give them your undivided attention. Now, when you do that, you're practicing concentration. And if you speak to your child two hours a day, that's two hours of practicing concentration. Now, Brett, if I practice the piano two hours a day, every day after six months, what would I be good at? Playing the piano. Right. You know, if I practice concentration two hours a day by giving someone my undivided attention every day, then after six months, I'm naturally good at concentration. After a year, I become really good at it. How is this idea of you know looking using your day to practice concentration? How is this different from mindfulness? You, you read blog posts about that. Well, when you're washing the dishes, be mindful of washing the dishes. Is it the same thing? Are you talking about the same thing? No, because you know I to me it's really helpful to define words, right? And because then there's clarity what that word actually means. So the in the book, as you know, as you go through the book, I I take time to define all these words. And I turned to the dictionary for definition of the words, because who am I to define a word? So when you look at the word mindfulness and how it's defined in Webster's or Oxford or dictionaries, it defines a state of being observant or conscious from a moment-to-moment -moment basis. Mindfulness is a byproduct of a concentrated state of mind. You don't practice mindfulness, you practice concentration. And when you can concentrate, then you can be mindful or observant. I can't be mindful if I can't be focused. How can I be mindful of where I'm stepping if I'm not focused on where I'm walking? Hmm. Okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So focus is, it undergirds. Like it's, yeah, mindfulness is a byproduct. Focus is how you get there. Exactly. So you don't tell someone to be mindful of washing the dishes. You tell someone to be focused, keep your awareness on the dishes you're watching. The byproduct of that, that awareness being focused on the dishes, is that you become mindful, you become observant of the dish. You start to see where it's dirty, the stains, how to scrub it, clean it, make it better, look nicer. 
But mindfulness is a byproduct. You don't tell people to practice mindfulness. You tell people to practice being focused. Mindfulness comes as a byproduct of it. It's the same way, you know, I talk about meditation in the book, right? It's like people say, oh, you know, when I walk my dog at night, that's my meditation. When I'm cooking, that's my meditation. What do you call this that we're doing right now? Is this your podcast? Yeah, this is my podcast. Do you have a partner or a spouse? I do. A spouse? Yes, a spouse. Okay. When you talk to her, uh, is that a podcast? That is not a podcast. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. So you don't go around having conversations with a person at Starbucks and ordering your coffee and say, that's a podcast. Right. Podcast is this, a structured conversation that you talked about that you're interviewing for a very specific reason. So we use words, we, we use words like meditation, walking my cats in meditation. No. Then what the heck is sitting down, closing my eyes and breathing? I think a lot of times people don't define words clearly and because they don't define words clearly they use it incorrectly and that causes confusion to the mind words like mindfulness meditation focus you know like you said hey get focused what does that mean define it so people understand once they understand the the meaning of the word then it's so much easier to to use it okay so if you want to start developing your concentration Find those non-negotiables in your life, things you have to do, and then really bring attention to awareness. Just, I'm going to, all my awareness is going to be on this thing. I'm going to choose to bring my awareness to my conversation with my spouse. I'm going to bring my awareness to washing the dishes. I'm going to focus on that. That's how you do it. And you you have to do it, like, it's like a sport, like you said. It's not just something you can do in 15 minutes. It's something you have to do all the time. because you're Right, because if you're practicing distraction all day, to counteract that, you're going to have to practice concentration all day, all the time. Exactly. You know, I can't eat junk food all day and then eat a bowl of salad at night and expect to be healthy. No, it's not going right? to work. My whole day needs to be a healthy diet. So the same way, if I'm practicing distraction all day long, then I think, okay, I get up in the morning and do 10 minutes of meditation. Now that's going to counteract 10 hours of practicing distraction. It's not. The day needs to be structured to support that. And every time you're doing a task or speaking with someone and your awareness drifts away to say you're washing your dishes and your ball of light drifts away, it goes to something else, bring it back. Keep it on keep it on the on washing the dishes. At the end of the day, what comes out of all of this is that you start to have profoundly deep experiences with all the people and things that truly matter to you. So when you sit and talk to your spouse. You can be completely present because your awareness is just anchored in her. It's not drifting off anywhere else. You get to hear what she's saying. You get to experience her. You get to experience your child. You get to experience the emotions, what they're going through, what they're saying to you. That becomes really rewarding, and that's a great impetus for practicing focus. So we've been talking about one of the reasons you want to develop focus is so you can have this enriching life that I think most people want. But you also talk about how a focused life can counteract Things like anxiety, fear, anger, depression. I know a lot of people are struggling with these things. Mm-hmm. How does developing a focused life, how can that help with those? It's essentially, you could say that my ability to focus is my ability to control where my awareness goes in my mind. That would be like another definition of focus. Now, 
take fear, for example. You know, in the book, I share a story that my guru shared with me when he was a kid that he had experienced. This was 1934 in Lake Tahoe. He was coming back in the family car. It was snowing really heavily, and he was worried he was going to miss his favorite radio program. And he saw what was happening in his mind. He saw his awareness going, leaving the present moment, sitting in the car, going into the future, creating a situation in his mind where the car got stuck in the snow and they got home late and he missed his radio program. And then his awareness came back to the present and started worrying about this experience he conjured up in his mind. And then at seven years old, he observed all of this happening. And then he said to himself, are we stuck in the snow? He asked himself, he said, no. Are we still moving? Yes. And then he said to himself, I'm all right right now. And, and that's a great example, uh, a story that shares what fear and worry is. Fear and worry is future-based. If you look at all the things you're worried about, all the things you're fearing, they're in the future. Awareness leaves the present, goes into the future and says, oh my God, what if I get old and I never find a partner or I never marry and I end up being alone? Now awareness comes back to the present and start worrying about that. So if you can control awareness, you can prevent awareness from going into the future in your mind, conjuring up things that haven't happened, and then coming back to the present and worrying about those things. That doesn't mean awareness can't go into the future and think about negative things. It's okay to do that as long as you're coming up with solutions for it. And, as long as, and also as long as you are, you're consciously deciding to do that. Exactly. So I gave an example in the book, you know, an entrepreneur is creating a restaurant. So he's thinking about how his restaurant's going to look like, and he's seeing seven months from now when it's built on a busy Friday night. There's 150 people in there. Everyone's busy eating, work, you know, chefs, cooks are cooking, and then a fire breaks out. This is he's conjuring this up right in his mind. He sees a big fire in the kitchen. Now he brings his awareness back to the present. Now he can worry about that and say, like, oh my God, we could have a fire, I could get sued, people could die, I shouldn't build a restaurant. What if the fire spreads to the building upstairs? That's worry. Or he can say, okay, if a fire breaks out in the kitchen, we need to make sure there's an emergency exit here and here. We should have a sprinkler system. We should fire, have fire extinguishers. I should consult with blah, blah, blah. Maybe they put some, I don't know, fireproof insulation to the thing. Now he's solving for the problem. And that's very different than worry, right? And But that all comes down to controlling awareness in the mind. Most people allow their awareness to go into the future, create a problem, then bring their awareness back to the present moment and now start worrying about the problem they created in the future. Five minutes later, awareness goes back into the future again to the same problem, thinks more about it, amplifies it some more, comes back to the present and starts worrying about it some more. Repeat this process over and over again. That fear becomes so huge that it becomes crippling in your life. Learn to control awareness in the mind and you learn to overcome fear and worry. Yeah, and I think this works can work for anger, depression. I've already been using this, you know, just that understanding that the mind is separate from awareness. Yes. Whenever I find myself getting frustrated, I think, well, I'm just in the frustrated part of my brain right now. I can direct my awareness to something more neutral or positive if I want to. My three and a half year old daughter went up to my wife two months ago and said, Mom, you need to move your awareness out of the unhappy area of the mind. She, yeah, even a three year old can pick it up. <laughs> This isn't hard stuff. It's not difficult, right? Yeah. Because we're, we're not talking here about scientific terms. We're not talking about neural pathways. We're not talking about the, 
the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, so this or that part of the mind, which are things that most of us don't know. We're talking about a ball of light called awareness traveling to different areas of the mind. Okay, my awareness went to the unhappy area of the mind. If it went there, then it can come back here or it can go somewhere else. A three-year-old can understand this. I've taught this to kids and kids just get it so quickly. Because it's not complicated to see what's happening in your mind the same way you're experiencing it now. Every time you're in the anger area of the mind, or even in the happy area of the mind, you can say to yourself, right, I'm in the happy area of the mind. Now, my awareness is in the happy area of the mind. That's why I'm experiencing being happy. The same way is when my awareness is in the anger area of the mind, I'm going to experience being angry. I'm not anger. I'm pure awareness experiencing the state of mind called anger. As easily as I'm here, I can move to another area of the mind. By using my willpower and powers of concentration, I can move my awareness to a different area of the mind. And once you start to see this happening in your mind, you start to do it with small things, you realize the freedom it gives you. Then it's a matter of practicing it over and over again so you become better and better at it and are able to apply it to more challenging experiences in life. Right? The simple things in life, yeah, that's fine. Someone says something to you on the street. Yeah, I can control my awareness. But when more difficult things happen, crisis in life, bigger crippling challenges, that's when the true test of how well you control awareness in the mind is displayed. And I also want to point out one thing, right, if I may. Choosing to move awareness in the mind is not ignoring the problem in the mind. It's giving you the choice of when you want to choose to engage with that problem. Do you see the distinction in that? Yeah, I, I see that. Or, you know, choosing when, but like also how you're going to engage. How? Right. Right. This isn't magical thinking. I, some, I think I can see some people taking this idea, well, whatever you're aware, that's your reality. Well, yeah, to an extent, but it's not going to make the problem go away if you just ignore, if you don't even direct your awareness to the problem at all. What you're saying is you can direct your attention at the problem, but you get to decide how or when you direct that awareness. Exactly. And where to, Right. If I'm at work and I have a problem with my spouse, now I don't want my awareness to, to be engaging with the argument I had with my spouse this morning. So I keep my awareness in the work area of the mind and focus on work. And then maybe I have an hour lunch break and I go to the park. I go sit down for half an hour and I move my awareness to my spouse area of the mind and reflect on what the problem is. So I can choose when, where, how I'm engaging with my prompt. It doesn't ignore the, it's not ignoring the problem. It's giving you the conscious choice of when you want to engage, how you want to engage, and where you want to engage with the problem. That is a tremendous amount of freedom. Well, Donapani, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? My website's probably the best place. Uh, if you go to donapani.org, you'll find all the links there. The book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble's online, and also in bookstores. And uh, yeah, and my website has more information about my weekly newsletter that I send out or email that I send out and the courses I have online, my app, and, and things like that. Fantastic. Well, Don Dapani, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. No, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all these wonderful, thoughtful questions. And I so greatly appreciate that you're starting to see how awareness in the mind works and and you've been able to apply that in your life as well. That's very rewarding for me. Well, that's great. Well, like I said, a three-year-old can do it. So I think there's hope for all of us. <laughs> there's, there's at least.
My guest today is Dan Dapani. He's the author of the book, The Power of Unwavering Focus. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find more information about his work at his website, dandapani.org. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash focus, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps out a lot. Done that already. Thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member. You would think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, it's Brett McKay. Remind you to not listen to the podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America.